0: Welcome to Wrestling and Everything, Coast to Coast, with your hosts, Buddy Sotelo and Evan Ginsberg. And today, I will be introducing the guest, and I would think that if you were to add up the amount of time that that, that this guest has known, myself and Evan Ginsberg, you would have a record for the most amount of time that someone has known the two of us, and that is wrestling's greatest photographer, Mike Lano. Yes. Thank you for being on our show. I knew Mike Lano as I walked in the doors to the Healdsburg Armory in 1999 to see my very first APW show. Mike and I, the the rest of the APW crew kayfaved me completely and pretended not to know me. So I sat down with Mike Lano and Alan Bolte and you two were the only two people to like talk to me at all during that entire show until I went backstage and hung out with the rest of the wrestlers. So I know you from as long as I know anything or anyone in independent wrestling. And Evan, you have your own history with Mike.
1: I know Mike since Scotch Hackenschmidt. We were the kids in Row 3 Center. That's right. Yeah,
2: 1903 or whatever.
1: That's
2: right. We've known each other uh, oh God, a lot and been through lots of stuff. Ev, when I would come out, couple of times because New York City is my favorite place to visit. We can't do it with the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, I have all those memories like when I uh, first started going to shoot and I would stay at a Rizzi's house in the summer and then he would come out uh, to my. And so we're talking like 74, 70, yeah, 74 there, 75. But Ev would uh, put me up or like one time I watched uh, an old girlfriend of his, her place in the, what was it, the Upper West Side, Ev, that really nice apartment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I, goes back.
2: That's where I discovered the great Robin Bird from New York, who uh, uh, I would later have her on uh, some other show I did, not with Evan. I can't remember, Evan, if we had her on Legends Radio. I don't,
1: I don't right. think so, but um, she she was hot stuff back in the day. She was an ex-porn queen, and she did a public access show. And, uh, yeah, she, she was a lot of fun, Robin Bird.
2: I just got an email today out of the blue that uh, – her real name is Rhea, but Jasmine St. Clair is doing autobiography, and um, I guess i will going to dig up photos for that, you know, too, because I was there for her training, and uh, this is for XPW and all the other stuff before she even met Blue Meanie, Brian, Pefron, and started her own promotion and stuff, so I guess she's completely... According to her, she's done with the East Coast, and she's back in Marina Del Rey, California. She was the first person who had anything to do with wrestling in Marina Del Rey, and now it's the hotbed. Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch live there together, and Austin has his compound. Diamond Dallas Page has a compound with Scott Hall, his rehab compound there. Um, There's tons of people, because it's close to LAX, I guess, if they want to get on a jet and go anywhere.
0: And it takes a little bit of money to live there, too. It's not exactly... Uh,
2: if it's on the water, it's a, it's a boat town. A lot of people have their boats there. And, it, you know, it was a lot more fun in the 60s. Now it's more... We can't use the term yuppies, but it's uh, a lot of these gin wires. The, the people that are, like, doing all of the cancel culture stuff, which... Uh, uh, but you and I were talking about the poor Joey Ryan, who's well, I can't even say that because I'll probably get uh, in trouble. But I've known him since like he started, I've ridden with him. And um, he used to come up to APW even before he started Pro Wrestling Guerrilla with Disco Machine and introduced everybody to Tony Kazarian and John Cena and tons of talent from SoCal. And, uh, and, and seeing him do that gimmick for maybe a couple of months on Impact Wrestling. Tuesday night's access, we'll give him a little plug. And now, so his gimmick was cancel culture, and now he's been canceled pretty much from wrestling, which he hasn't even had his day in court yet, but, you know, when these charges come about, you are fired, you are done, it's like you didn't exist. Unless you're Sammy Guevara, he was back on TV after a month of uh, uh, sensitivity training, as I
0: told Buddy. Right, right, right. So So what I was asking... Shut up. And I
2: actually want to ask this of you guys before you start asking me questions. Why did that not become a big national story? You had the Me Too movement, you know, around Bill Cosby and then uh, the guy that took his own life and and other scumbags. And that was huge. We were hearing stuff on a daily basis. But these many, many, many women in pro wrestling and a couple of males, uh, it involved talent and production people and and, and big wig, upper tier management corporate types. Uh, like Dave Lagana and NWA and stuff with these charges, and uh, every single wrestling company, at least in the U.S., a couple in Mexico, obviously Europe, but none in Japan, and no, no NBC, no network affiliate stuff, no ESPN, no Sports Illustrated, not even tablets covered this thing, which is mind-boggling for me. If you have a story this massive, and uh, it's crossing into real-world stuff, why? Aren't we hearing about that stuff like on uh, CNN and headline news every night like they did with the Benoit crisis or all of those wrestlers that were dying left and right of drugs and stuff before the age of 35, you know, whatever that was, 1997,
1: 98. Because most media still thinks wrestling's a joke. <laughs> There's your answer.
2: Well, it's serious. Like, in, in this case, like, there are some big names, some legends that go back to early 70s, and I'm surprised that people probably know what I'm talking about without even saying it, that they've not had women come out. So unless there's non-disclosure agreements.
0: That's one of the problems there, Mike, is that Vince McMahon and some of the other organizations have these really strong NDAs. And in the case of, as you pointed out, with Joey Ryan, he wasn't arrested. So there isn't the sense of police charges on top of it. It's still all allegations and stuff going on behind the scenes. And I don't think that most modern news wants to get involved in something like that, because they don't want to get drawn into a lawsuit if it turns out that these allegations were false.
2: Yeah, but you had, how many women, and Evan and I have talked about this over the years since the Cosby stuff, we were like in disbelief when Hannibal Burris first made that, and you know, he... Little fire under that and then everybody started talking about it pretty quickly and you know boom from there how many women uh, it was like 80 90 women that alleged stuff yeah
1: Yeah, so so you had you had the fans posting on social media they're all gold diggers i mean how ridiculous i mean out of 80 wouldn't you think somebody's telling the truth of course yeah i I think there's
0: a big difference between he said she said and he said they said
2: But you had a lot of, well, the wrestlers who got in the most heat had, like, at least three. A lot of those UK NXT stars. Um, But, you know, Joey hit home. I'm not defending him because I don't know what happened. But I would think you should, or you deserve your day in court as opposed to allegations just thrown out there. And there was only, you know, a couple. I'm, again, thinking there was two, three. There were more for other people. But all I can recall reading in The Observer was... Like three, two, three for Joey, and then boom, and a bunch of promoters, people like myself who shared uh, locker rooms or rode with Joey as as I did and many other wrestlers. They all say we never saw that kind of behavior, you know. So I'm thinking, well, is it like the guy that all the neighbors say uh, uh, who, who murdered his whole family or something? Oh, he was a quiet, respectful guy, you know, that type of thing.
0: They had like no clue or what's. Or is he being railroaded? That's uh, that's. I guess we're not going to know unless you know Dark Side of the Ring wants to do a story on it. One well, of I'm things. sure they will. I suggested it to them. I, I go, you know, say some of these
2: lame things like uh, this year probably the lamest one they did, and some were good. And I I still have been paid for my photos requested in there. I didn't get proper credit as promised for some of those, like the Snooka one and the Owen and the Benoit, which were good. The Benoit and it was very hard to watch that or, or Owen. But, um, you know, the, the one they did about that the brawl for all with the, the boxing thing, I mean, really, there wasn't, there was maybe five minutes of story there instead of padding it out for 50 minutes. So, but here you have something you can go to, even though it's like all allegations, there haven't been any court cases uh, yet or, you know, whatever. But I don't know, it's just, Weird. This this whole corona thing, and I don't know what spurred it on. It was just like one woman, as with the uh, uh, Me Too movement, and then just blocked. And that's what happened with uh, Greg Oliver, that letter to Cauliflower Alley. We're talking off air about that to get them to decide to wisely not have a CAC Vegas convention this year. Just unsafe. You don't want to be in a little test two airplane flying there. You certainly don't want to be in those hotel rooms, which have looked filthy to me for years. You know, it's an inexpensive hotel, many miles from the Strip. Good luck is, eating at the buffets. Oh, the buffets are done. They're all gone. Uh, yeah,
0: no, I mean, it's it's a, it's a totally different different world out there. I wanted to rewind things a little bit, and I, I never even asked you, how did you actually get started as a wrestling photographer? What was the first match that you... Took a, a photograph at him. How did it get started? Where you actually were able to get behind the scenes and start taking photographs ringside?
2: Well, I was friends with John Tolis, who I would later um, run the Tolis Brothers Fan Club. John Arisi. John Rizzi started the Blassey Fan Club, and he had one guy initially, uh, Frank, uh, Frank Favalli, and, um, and and John and I were pen paling. We might have been the amongst the first earliest tape traders because john would um film like eight millimeter or six millimeter at the madison square garden and when when meadowlands opened uh, the very first show there january 74 was bruno versus a glassy managed nikolai Volkov, who just returned to uh, try wf and he would film stuff there and then i was shooting already ringside i'll get back to how that started and my best friend since kindergarten, Mark and Gary Dawson, actor, game show host, etc. Richard Dawson's uh, two kids, who I still maintain friendship with, and blah, blah, blah. Um, they would film, well, I, you know, they would film similarly, except they got the audio. They got the Jimmy Lennon senior audio, which I think Evan's seen on some of this stuff. And they only did it from about uh, early 72 through 75 when they kind of lost interest in wrestling. But we would trade and also, John and I—I'd already been doing it with other people, contributing to another fan club I did uh, briefly before um, taking over the reins. So John asked me—we uh, were tape trading. We would tape, and maybe Evan did this too. We would with a you know, old-school micro cassette, or not a micro cassette, but just a plain old cassette recorder. We put the mic right on TV. This was way before VCR started coming out. The first Betamax around uh, early '74. We hold up the mic, and, and every week for at least Los Angeles, the every Wednesday TV at the Olympic, the every Saturday KCOP Channel 13. I tape all the promos and intros and stuff, and um, and then we would, you know, trade, and we would listen and then uh, or watch if it was the the video separate from the audio cassettes. We'd send it to the other party. I would send that stuff to John. He'd look at it, send it back, and you know, vice versa. So I was. Um, Already kind of acquainted with uh, John Tolis, who was you know, kind of one of those backbone things like Fred Blassie for the Olympic Auditorium, the Hollywood uh, Mike LaBelle wrestling office. And they just needed another photographer because one guy, Phil Miller, had stopped coming and he was working sort of as a sidebar to the main guy. And the guy that taught me wrestling photography, I asked him, was Theo Eric, who did. He's kind of known for the apartment house wrestling stuff in the what were later known as the After magazines, but Stanley Weston is the godfather of wrestling magazines, and that's what we call them, Weston magazines. The wrestler and in Inside Wrestling in the early '70s on. Later, they dropped those titles or added on Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and that's the only American wrestling magazine you know now. No more WWF magazine, not even special issues. They don't mess with that,
0: uh, I don't
2: which is kind of sad that that's that's gone. I, I'm I hope Evan. I don't know about you. Buddy, but I hope you guys are like me. I still like having a physical thing in my hands, a newspaper or a magazine. And, oh, yeah. You know, the pandemic, those things are like... I mean, I can't even tell you how many magazines that I was subscribing or whatever. You know, I'm getting stuff from like Arthritis Monthly saying, due to the pandemic, we're ceasing publication. You know, those are like stores. I just went out and uh, I was a little late getting back to practice doing the Skype with uh, uh, Buddy, but at a, a giant... Uh, like a mall where we have a grocery store, like every other business, you know, has out of business signs. So because of this horrific pandemic, you know, it's just, it's bad. Thank God people are at least wearing masks more uh, in the last week than all the knuckleheads that have not and have fought that and uh, used all kinds of excuses or whatever BS. And if anybody watching, you wear a mask, put it over your nose. Don't put it below your nose because then it's like not wearing anything. You're still exhaling. Particles. You
1: know. I think it's good to put it below your chin because it firms up your uh, chin and it doesn't sag when you're older.
2: Yeah, well,
0: it, it heights It tightens the neck. Uh, That's
1: right. It tightens the neck muscles.
0: I mean, I hate to say it, Evan, but all the, the the worry and the 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 panic that you had in New York for the last few months. Now we're suffering that in California. You know, with our rates climbing as much as it has. So how can you know, we?
2: worse than than moronic i hate to say it because i love florida and i have lots of friends there but florida or georgia where i have lots of family how could we be doing worse in california new york did it right and there's a guy who man i wish he would run against trump because he would just eat him alive in uh, what's his face your governor who's so great almost so great i wish he would i watch i don't watch our governor or our local mayor Those guys do those nightly, stupid things, and it's just boring. I go, you guys got to spiff it up because no kids, the audience that you need to get to to demand that they wear masks, they're not going to watch this crap. But Cuomo, I watch those sessions. I get the national feed, the New York channels, and uh, I'm riveted because that guy knows what he's doing, and he did it. Look at him. He did it right. We might have been the first to do the self-imposed stay-at-home thing by just a few days, but New York really overtook that. and. Cuomo ran with that ball, and I think he could whip Trump's ass in a heartbeat.
1: Personally, I'm hoping for a, a Kanye West flavor ticket. I think that would work.
2: Wait, don't you think Kanye's out after his little crying fit? And, and I, you know, I don't want to disparage the guy if he has um, some mental issues and stuff and these problems with Kim Kanye. But he was, like, crying on a stage. I thought he already pulled out so we don't have to worry about him inadvertently stealing votes. He from could money. jump
0: back in, though. He's crazy enough to... To want to jump back into it, you know, on an hourly basis, we could, you know, have to keep track of him. And
1: Kanye, Kanye cut a promo on Harriet Tubman that didn't go over too well. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, he oh, then, maybe
2: you could have Nick Cannon as his VP. You know, Nick Cannon with all the trouble he's in lately. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's- no, we don't want to. We don't want to go there. He
2: was at a, uh, a boxing press conference as the announcer, and then he did the announcing at the Oakland coliseum for a show that of course uh, uh oh god that stupid role uh, ice skating uh, gal that it was part of that 2007 Tony harding tanya no showed that thing she was at the press conference and then she locked herself in her dressing room and her team snuck her out of there she never did show up for the fight that nick cannon was the mc but i got to interview him and spend time with a super nice guy funny very talented guy so uh, it pains me Whatever he did on the, the podcast talking about the uh, melanin pigment, I'll leave it at that.
0: So um, I, I want to get back to your photography because, of course, that's why we have you here is because. Well, I, I think
2: it was the tallest blassie match it was the first time, uh, the first one I shot, and there was some chic. Uh, it my, uh, That was the first one I shot. You know, it's been so many. I was there when Black Gorman debuted as a babyface. So they would always pair any Hispanic guy that came in, Miel in 1967, with uh, Pepper Gomez. And uh, even when Pedro Morales came in, he, they would pair him so he would grasp his credibility that Pepper Gomez had because Pepper was born and raised and went to school at L.A. Tech. So you would see all these guys. So I remember uh, when Moskerson came in and then when... Uh, uh, Morales, a little bit later. Anybody, you know, they were immediately paired with poor Pepper Gomez. We had to get these guys over. And then also the medics, Los Medicos de Mexico. I'm not sure if they were the originals, but they did some six-mans uh, as uh, the trio of baby faces, technicos, with Pepper Gomez. So who um, ended but, up, buddy, he lived like three, four blocks from me off of Santa Clara in Alameda until he passed away. And
0: then we were looking after his widow, Bonnie. But uh, I wanted to ask you, what makes a great wrestling photograph? What, what do you look for when you're ringside to get you to that particular, what you think is going to be a killer photo?
2: Um, the eyes. You always want to get, you know, I saw something on somebody, a documentary on seniors last night that my uh, wife brought up i think it was from arc but it was a very good documentary and living called living your best life but the photographer said something that i've always followed is try to get them to look you know, right at you piercing so it's a window to their soul which is kind of you know uh, whatever to say because it's been overused and, and stuff so i don't want to bore people with that but like uh for example a shot and i shot everywhere pretty much almost not all the territories but pretty much most of them. I made up for Missing Calgary when I went up there as the Hart family photographer. in then uh, December 15th of 1995 for the Stu Hart 80th birthday party and the 45th anniversary of Stampede Wrestling. And got to shoot at the house and shot the dungeon and all that stuff. I had Owen Hart come and pick me up at the airport in blazing snow. But I um, I, so one of the most famous shots that a lot of people always say they, they like, and I agree, is my shot from the, so that's why I was talking about the territories. So the Chicago Amphitheater, one of my favorite venues next to Madison Square Garden or uh, Keel and St. Louis, etc. cetera, was uh, a shot of Heenan. And then in the middle of Bockwinkel and, and Ray, this is the night they dropped their titles to Bruiser and Crusher, huge riot at the Chicago Amphitheater, which is a fantastic building great wrestling town and they're all looking at me and ev i don't know if you've seen that photo but it's it's a very powerful one now that we've lost all three and uh, and then there were two that i did that jeff walton my boss so jeff walton ran the blassie fan club and when he had to give it up to do pr and he got actually hired uh from his great work with that fan club the Glassy Fan Club, and then Arisney and I took it over. John did initially and then asked me to replace his vice president, and we won all these WFIA awards and stuff. Um, so my immediate boss, Jeff, when I would shoot at ringside, he was the guy I would report to. I didn't, thankfully, have to deal with Mike LaBelle. I would get uh, just work with Jeff and everything. And uh, he sent two of my shots that became covers for, when Vince, as Evan knows, when Vince McMahon started... Or uh, in the 70s, all he had was like one piece of glossy paper folded in half, so i.e., four pages, sort of. And that was his program. And I don't know what they charged for that, but whatever. But Jeff had sent to Vince when two of our talent, first Chavo Guerrero and then Roddy Piper, we're talking about 1977, came in. And they were, you know, just like the surprise one offs coming in, you know, like when Eddie Graham would come up from Florida or send up Mike Graham or whoever or Billy Robinson came from the AWA, the one-offs. But two of my photos where the guys are piercing and staring right at you were used as the program covers. I was really proud for the Tri-WF at Madison Square Garden. Again, one of Chavo Guerrero Sr., one of Roddy Piper. We're talking again, 77 or so, late 77, early 78. And, and so I just try to always make sure when I'm posting them either in the ring or in the locker room, whether I'm in Mexico City or Japan or Europe, Get them to look at me and then try to capture their inner essence. And I'll usually like in the back in the dressing room, like with whoever, where it's Taya Valkyrie or her husband John Morrison, John Hennigan's his real name, just ask them to do their stuff because these guys, if you just ask them, they make your life easy. They already have their own set poses that they, you know, they show you. It's like Barbara Streisand; she has like I think the left side of her face she doesn't want shown in photos, so they know what angles. They know if they're going to do a says, Uh, MMA type thing with the fists or a foot up pretending to kick they already have it so like why reinvent the wheel ask them to do all the poses in their arsenal and you get great shots that way
1: Mike out of all the territories and all the matches you have seen uh, which which are some of the greatest matches just as far as watching not shooting as far as a a fan what what matches come to mind because you've seen everything everywhere
2: um, there was a great hour, and I was shooting it, and I think Napolitano was there with me in St. Louis at Kiel. So it must have been 75. Uh, uh, Dory Funk Jr. Uh, against Harley Race. Wow. NWA title match where it went an hour, and about 40 minutes into it, Dory's boot came off. And they just, you know, they didn't take the time to have him put his boot back on. So I don't think that was an angle. And he just wrestled the rest of the match with just one boot on. <clears throat> Um, Jack, oh God, there were a lot of Jack, Jack Briscoe against Terry Funk had a full 30-minute Broadway, of all things, during a, a, a title tournament to see who would go on to meet Victor Rivera for the, uh, boy, with that locker room pack of talent, for the uh, America's title, our top title in Los Angeles. It was like February 73, and the, and the Sheik against Victor Rivera was on top for Rivera's America's Championship, but the opening match of this tournament to determine the number one contender were two guys like Terry Funk had been a couple of times in LA. Jack Briscoe never had. and these guys put on a real clinic. you know there was uh, Terry just did all scientific wrestling. That was the first time we saw Terry debut his bleach blonde hair and goatee look, which Terry was one of those guys who would completely change his appearance every couple of years. If you look at him in 60s Amarillo, early 70s and then here 73, he would adopt a look that he would have to this day. And um, that was a fantastic match. Uh, Bruno against Spiris Arian at Madison Square Garden. Out of this world. Um, I just love the aura. Of anything Bruno did because uh, he didn't... He just Sometimes he have a towel around his neck. Sometimes nothing like Mike Tyson. Just come down there. A the place to go bananas. Now, they get heat. These guys have valets. There's fireworks. There's music. There's all of this crap. Fantastic ring garb like The Miz. And there's no comparison. You know, they don't have what we call in the 70s, 80s aura. And, and that's particularly my Japan. I worked for both Japanese weekly magazines until Gong went under in a bankruptcy thing around 2002, 2003, but I worked at the same time as a writer, photographer, columnist for both Japanese weeklies, Shukan Gong, Weekly Gong, and Shukan Pro, otherwise known as Baseball, Shaw, but all it is is wrestling, a little bit of MMA. And, um, uh, Gosh. Um, what was the question? Well, you could tell I'm getting old.
1: Greatest right? greatest yeah. matches.
2: You okay, Greatest wish. matches. Yeah. So I, know, I said the Billy Robinson burn gun. If I didn't, I want to throw that in there. That was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Even though it didn't have a finish. That was in uh, Illinois. Um, I know the Coliseum show for Los Angeles. Tolis versus Blasi on top. So like the two longest or at least most well-publicized views at the time. Chic Brazil was underneath Tolis Blasi. Gorman Goliath against Shib- so for a whole entire card of incredible matches, two heel tag teams Shibuya and Saedo versus Black Gorman, Great Goliath, Neil Masquerous against El Solitario, the original who passed away, out of this world. You know, Masquerous was Masquerous, the most famous masked man, but Solitario like could put him to shame as a, as a worker, and and Mascaris was exciting to watch, but uh, this guy El Solitario was just out of this world. Huh? Um, gosh, I think the Ivan Koloff versus, um, Neil Moskowitz match, the very first Roosevelt Stadium show that John Arizzi, Napolitano, Frank Amato, and I were the ringside photographers for that. In the rain, pouring rain at New Jersey Roosevelt Stadium. I think it was 75. It was the very first of three Roosevelt Stadium shows. And such an important card, that, like in the dressing room, just going there to spy and check out stuff. They hadn't yet signed up. Johnny Powers and Anoki. Ricky Starr, who nobody had seen in many, many years, Fez, um, and rumored were Munchnik and The Sheik, who I never saw back there. But this was Eddie Einhorn's first wrestling back thing that he lost a ton of money on, but it was taking on both Vince Sr. primarily and the NWA uh, with national TV. And oh man, they had one uh, Beacon Theater TV match. Masquerus versus uh, Luthes. That was fantastic. That was about ten minutes. It was with you know TV time draw from what I remember. But there have been uh, in Japan. Oh my, uh, lots of great, lots of great stuff. A lot of uh, Fujinami early on stuff. Uh, Ricky Choshu against Tiger Jeet Singh. And it's it's hard. Uh, to remember stuff, the Bruno Sammartino Battle Royal was perhaps the greatest battle royal I ever saw. January I think 19th, of 1972. And battle royals are notoriously horrific because you can't do much. The ring is, you can't move around, so you can't do a whole lot. But that battle royal was amazing. And that's the one where Bruno also lifted Haystack Calhoun and then did the football pileup on Haystack Calhoun to eliminate him. We're talking like 20 guys. I don't know how. People didn't get legit injured. Uh, they all did this football pileup uh, to eliminate Calhoun. Oh, man. That was, that was the only time Bruno and Neil Moskowitz, to my knowledge, were ever in the same ring together. Uh, they, of course, met at, at a Hall of Fame. when uh, we both were inducted at separate times. But in the ring and laying hands on each other anywhere in the world. So that was a thrill. And you could still mark out for stuff. Uh, When matches are fantastic, like Billy Robinson, Vern Gagne, you mark out for it. Or Gene Kaniski pretty much doing anything. Gene Kaniski against Johnny Valentine in St. Louis. Who wouldn't mark out for that?
0: Well, here's one thing that I would say about you that's incredibly unique. Is that, yes, there are a lot of East Coast folks who have covered wrestling. But I don't think there's anyone that I've ever talked to that has covered more West Coast wrestling than you have in your in in your life you just been you know. around I why
2: you know i've done a lot of ring of honor and uh evolved he was running that and, and that was absolutely terrific i know evan has seen all that evan has the luxury because you know and i was thinking when i saw the hanakimura tribute ring of honor tv show and if you have ring of honor on your whatever sinclair network even though they're ultra conservative or you can watch it on the website. But I was thinking, F, where is F sitting here watching Hana Kimura, who died at the New Japan ROH Madison Square Garden show about, what was it ever, like a year and a half ago? Um,
1: last April, they had the ROH show at the garden with mm-hmm. New Japan.
2: Yeah, of, of 2019. Yeah. But you were there. You the distinct... I never got to photograph her, which is uh, something I lament. I feel badly about. And I always... Whenever I do anybody's radio show or podcast, I always salute um, Hannah Kimura. It's just a lot of bullying and wrestling, and for her to take her own life, I know it wasn't wrestling related, but she was like only 22, and that's just horrific. So I always try, I I should have done it at the beginning, is just ask people to look up Hannah Kimura, but what a terrific Ring of Honor special that was. you know, the few times that she was in there with her tag partner from Stardom and stuff, it's, uh, it bothers me. Wrestling is such a small community, and it's like everybody should be supporting each other, but it's never been that way. And even, you know, during the pandemic now, uh, we're all able to collectively plead with Brian Blair to, to move the Cauliflower, you know, to next year, not hold it this year. We're, I, I, you know, that was the thing I told him back in March. Carl Lauer like 80 or 80-plus. 80 what would you do if like, he got sick and got this thing? You know, it, you, you, we're hearing about people as young as 14 and 12 dying from it, and lots of people in their 30s now, as it kind of morphs, so there's variants of it, you know, being a dentist, a legit dentist before Dr. Britt Baker in AEW. I don't think i not tried to interview her, but they, uh, they're only parsing, I guess, people out for busted open. Have either of you guys... I'm throwing this out there, listen to the Busted Open show on Sirius XM. In terms, of no,
0: I don't have Sirius. I
2: don't. I don't there is any more terrestrial radio. It's now, you know, everybody has podcasts and I meaning from Jim Ross to guilty. Oh, you, know, you guys, obviously. And Evan and I, Ev, how long did we do that show with the uh, with Rick? Uh, Probably first?
1: eight years. <laughs>
2: Legend Radio,
1: probably eight years, seven or eight. How about that show
2: when uh, you brought tons of people, I did too, and like we had just our favorite people. I brought on Julie Newmar, uh, who I didn't know went to the same, I just learned the other day she went to my same high school. So when this thing goes away and we can meet, my high school is going to... Um, back down in southern california they're going to honor her but uh marty allen and just brought paul reiser people that i liked i would just contact their publicists.
1: a lot of them are gone uh billy paul um cuba gooding senior from the main ingredient a lot of these guys are gone now so it's important like
2: this thing like evan was doing wbai with fred giobald and uh I, I forget what happened if i gave ev Art Bar, Eddie Guerrero's contacts, or he got it through this guy with the initials EG, who I won't mention, but they had, did you have both Art and Eddie or just Eddie?
1: What happened was Art had just died, and Eddie came on a few weeks later onto our show, and this was late night, and he was just sobbing. I'll never forget it. He was just sobbing through the interview, and um, it was was very uh, powerful, very powerful. Yeah, was,
2: greatest maybe, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. yeah, maybe
1: two or three weeks after Rod died. had died. Yeah.
2: The photos I have of them in Mexico, and then all of the Ron Scholar stuff, which is like a purchased, uh, his promotion was like a, a purchased, along with uh, Marquez Brothers Cheese, of all of those AAA shows in the U.S. You know, Ron would list himself as the promoter and stuff, but... Uh, and they were fantastic, like that very first L.A. sports arena completely sold out. But the, the photos I got of Art and Eddie in the back uh, and then with them, with the real, uh, uh, gosh, locos, gringos locos, which was Vampiro and Chris Jericho and Norman Smiley. Conan and Ray Mysterio were sort of fraternal members. But those, those core five guys and then Art and Eddie, I got them doing so much mischief, uh, pouring coke down somebody's neck or goofing behind Ron Scholar's back or they were just really fun loving and uh, I know it was like the Benoit thing it was hard to watch when he was talking about Eddie similar to Eddie for any of us who talked to him or the show Evan did with him uh, talking about uh, art boy what a nice guy And he had been the subject of a lot of rumors art bar but I never saw any negative behavior with him uh and he was just a great guy. And so in command. Boy, he and Eddie, if you want to look at their stuff well before the World Wrestling Peace Festival, which is when Eddie got the look-see with Eric Bischoff, and he hired him along with you know, basically Conan and Rey Mysterio from that thing in early 96, April of 96, to bring in all those guys to really make that new WCW Nitro show full of that talent. But it's just too bad that Art Barr didn't get to, to make it there with Eddie. But if you really want to see Eddie at his best and Art at his best, just look at the stuff that they did as Los Gringos Locos. Even on Ron Scholar's shows where he paired them with Sherry Martell, who you would have thought maybe held them back, but she added to the mix as their manager.
1: I think, I think between the three of us, we've lost so many friends in this business. You could fill a small arena. And uh, I'm working on a book right now, and it's just heart-wrenching. I, I have articles. On Johnny Valiant and Nikolai and Larry Sweeney, who we did the wrestler with, and uh, Gordon Scazzeri, who uh, ended up in a welfare hotel at the end after burning through all his money uh, promoting wrestling. There's a lot of tragic stories, and we've lost a lot of friends, and... Uh, It's just a tough business, tough business. Eddie Gilbert,
2: another close friend of mine, he and Jim Cornette were the first guys to subscribe to my Tolos Brothers fan club. And to lose Eddie, who I have so many good memories with, like shooting there at his debut at Keele Auditorium in St. Louis when he was just young, skinny, didn't look like he belonged in the ring, but obviously he could deliver. And then he and his dad, Tommy, teaming up a couple days later at Kansas City Memorial Hall way before Eddie went to the tri to work for Vince, you know, and then he bulked up a little by then, uh, but, uh, yeah, Eddie and, oh God, all the people at the, uh, the Stu Hart thing that I was describing earlier from December 95, uh, Rhonda Singh, who was Bertha Faye in WWF, and Monster Ripper in Japan, and Mexico and Puerto Rico, We're losing her, and Brian Pillman and, and Davey Boy even, and just go on and on and on, Stu Hart and along Hell
0: with him. Crash Holly and Mark Smith, you know, from APW and and Roland Alexander as well, you know, and not that that you know he was in great shape, but you know, another person that that you know was gone well before he was even, you well, know, he was
2: fully six... you know, he had a lot of stress, even though he was overweight, but he had constant source, you know, a couple of individuals who just constantly bullied him and stuff, and he said, you know, it was awful stress that he put up with, uh, and, and doing that, I just don't get why people aren't more supportive, or just whatever, you know, somebody is doing what have you in wrestling, uh, you know, because I don't look at, I don't see that kind of stuff in boxing or roller derby, they seem to be more united as a community, wrestling is, a, even globally, it's still a small community. There's the casual fans. A lot of them are just turned away. You look at the ratings nosedive. At least the raw and SmackDown. Uh, fortunately, it's up in demographics for the best night of wrestling. I don't have to even say this. Is Wednesdays obviously with NXT and AEW, fantastic stuff. But, um, uh, buddy, I, I hope we can get into before I've got to go. The 2000 was it seven? Cow yeah, cow.
0: 2007 Wrestle Fan Fest, please i i was i was saving that but we can uncork that that uh fine bottle of vinegar for yeah, uh I, 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 for really all easy. of uh uh the other wrestling folks because oh, let me just give a little bit of background on it for you and me because um you brought me in as your ph- photography assistant
2: yeah, so assistant. you were
0: able to get me into this thing so i didn't have to pay so i was i was carrying your your bags and and your camera stuff but then i was able to sneak in because you got me an all access pass. I was able to sneak around and take my own camera and go and go off on the sides and interview a whole bunch of different people, take a whole bunch of photographs. Those are actually, for me, one of the most treasured uh, photographs that I have are from the Fan Fest. But that thing was completely out of control. So um, uh, that was in 2007 when uh, at the Cow Palace, we haven't had in the Bay Area, a fan fest of large proportions since that, because this was such a disaster. So I remember when we both showed up in the parking lot, we're like, you know what? This isn't going to work out well, was it? You know? Uh, But I knew a couple
2: of days in advance, and then this is where you and I were talking, and Evan knows because I was reporting to him a lot of what was going on because Scotty Epstein hopped on a plane. Scott Epstein was a saint in wrestling. You want to know what a good human being is? For my money, uh, you know, present company accepted. But Scott Epstein, who Ev can talk about as well, you know, because he was around him more because of proximity. But all I had to do was ask Scott, you know, say, oh, this thing is going to I think a lot of people are going to get ripped off. This was a mess. This was like the Tuesday before the Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of it. And he just hopped on a plane to come out and help me. He stayed, as Evan knows, as Meltzer would call me each night. Uh, and sometimes several times a day to find out what the hell was going on because these promoters and this was in a period when as evan might remember there were two major fiascos there was an indiana fan fest where the promoter jumped out the window with a cash box and guys like ricky morton and tommy rich who drove 14 18 more hours each way didn't get a dime and these are guys who were destitute and needed that money so there was that scummy thing like six weeks before the Cow Palace. Uh, what was it called Russell Reunion? No,
0: it was Russell Fan Fest.
2: Russell Fan Fest, real original. Uh, and then there was the New York one where at the last minute, Billy Graham and um, Jesse Ventura, Evan, remember that one? Uh, they pulled out of it because they smelled a the rat. And the same thing, I think the parents put the kibosh and took the cash box and their kid, the promoter, out of there. Evan, remember that one?
1: Yeah, yeah. We won't name any names to protect the guilty, but uh, yes.
2: That was a fiasco. So then there was this. And so because I was on edge, I saw these other two things that happened, like in a five, six-week period prior to the Cow Palace thing. So Scott comes out to help me out, to help document it and what have you. And there were so many things, it's hard to know where to Go, But uh, Scott and that Shad Gaspar, who I stayed friends with, of who just died, who uh, was, uh, here was a guy who... Oh, Chad Gaspar just died? Yeah, he drowned. He was the guy from WWF part of Crime Time that drowned, but I was really oh, close... Yeah, up.
0: that's right, that's right, yes.
2: He lived in NorCal, then they moved to like Venice, Marina Del Rey area in SoCal. And I would see him at all of Icebox's shows uh, because they had like... The whole roster was african-american and hispanic peoples all people of color very diverse locker room which was fantastic but he had sort of charlataned me in like last november to come with him and photograph him on a wrestling panel at the la comic con so i flew down there and um you know i forgot what he had said oh he told me that uh, bill watts's kid was going to be there and when i get there it was the championship wrestling from Hollywood, which is really Port Wyneme, three hours north of Hollywood, having nothing to do with Hollywood. But it was Eric Watts, a seven-foot-tall African-American guy with the same name as Bill Watts' wrestling son. So I got not really sucker, but it was just he wanted someone to document it. He could have just asked me, but so I have a lot of great memories. What a hero and great person Shad Gaspar was. He was at that cop house. He volunteered and stayed around with me and Scott Epstein when it was over. And long story short, it was a three day thing. It was like Friday afternoon from about two or twelve on to five. Uh with like the Dudley brothers and uh Piper knocking out and beating the shit out of the promoter to get their money that Saturday morning. And then that Saturday night is when the promoter and his wife these guys had never had anything to do with wrestling. And I guess I, I can't even give their they had like five aliases, the police said, but uh, the excuse that they used to get people that Evan and I were really close to, Nikolai Volkov, Jimmy Snuka, I could go on and on, Greg Valentine, Beefcake, too.
0: Snuka was in tears, right? I mean, you had yeah. to lend him money to, to get back to to Hawaii, right?
2: Yeah, well, there so many guys. And then there was an M- MMA component. And so what these guys did was... uh, They had to
0: shut down the ring because the ring wasn't set up right. It didn't meet MMA specifications. They couldn't have the MMA
2: fight. They couldn't have it, but the problem was that the husband and wife, who they used the excuse to get these wrestlers to book their own flights, and then they were told that they would be paid and compensated for their effort once they got there, which it's got to be a work... Why do
0: wrestlers believe that? That's the thing that I found
2: most mysterious. I think they try to... Hopefully, these guys—they want like Nikolai Volkov. You could not find a nicer guy, as as Evan is writing about him in his book. Really ethical, honest, moral, fantastic human being. You know, even the wrestling part aside, I think we would love uh, Nikolai Volkov. But so they came out, but they agreed to this bullshit when the husband and wife said, uh, "Oh, uh, the, the so-called husband was a." a San Francisco police cop shot in the line of of battle. And this was his one dream to put on a wrestling show. So that was all completely non-true that the police said. So they left on night two. They took the uh, Saturday night. They took the cash box for the wrestlers, the cash box for the MMA guys. The MMA guys start riding amongst themselves. That's when Dog the Bounty Hunter's son and his bodyguard cold cocked Don Fry. And he went after them. And then we had to, I'll come back to that one. But they fled, so immediately when I got word of that, I uh, was standing there with Rick and Scott Steiner and some others, and we called the cops, and they tried catching these guys, uh, but they crossed into state lines into Nevada fairly quickly with all the money. Uh, Back to uh, the MMA thing, so some of the toughest, legit tough guys uh, in in wrestling, that would be uh, Warlord, I think Barbarian was there, the Steiners, my friend Dr. Dusty Williams they who wrestled on the show and a couple of other really super tough guys Scott they, norton
0: i remember scott norton in particular
2: and uh, and the next so day i talked
0: to him and he was he was like asking me where to find these guys cuz he he saw i had the all access pass on me and he was like i'm going to find these guys and i'm going to tear them apart with my own bare hands and i was like go ahead scott i, I have nothing to do with 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 the promotion just over there go go over there i
2: I was really really scared the, the, the MMA component they called the cops on Don Fry and so we hit him. all these tough guys and just me a non tough guy hid Don Fry from the police I think we snuck him into Scott Steiner's uh, hotel room there at the those are the SFO Marriott and uh, but anyway, uh, Scotty Goldstein and uh, Shad Gaspard stuck around and Scott rearranged his plane flight so they could go to all three police see, the Cal Palace was sitting on a municipality that's governed by like three counties, which we had to go to three different county police departments and three different county DAs to file charges. And so Scott Epstein and Shad Gaspard went with me to these uh, things. And, um, you know, it's like I can't even begin to tell you what they did. They, They canceled the plane flights for Sunday and Monday. So a lot of these wrestlers, when they got to the airport or... Prior to, they found out they had no flights, so they had to pay their own way back. They weren't reimbursed for their flights in. They weren't paid. They canceled the hotel room, so that Monday morning, I think, uh, Buddy, you were with me when I was there with uh, Francine and Don Marie and a few of them. Yes. They they all slept because they had no rooms. They didn't really have the money, nor could they really afford it, so they all slept all night long that Sunday into Monday night before they were to fly out. Uh, in the hotel lobby, on the floor, in chairs, whatever was there. They, it was a massive group of people. And, uh, and when Steve Austin, it was that goofy eye doctor, Mark, Money Mark, Sunday, who paid for Austin and China and uh, Goldberg to be there. When I told them all about it before, you know, I, get, I, I have to warn you guys what's going on here. So I warned each of them when they arrived in their limos. And they were paid separately by the Money Mark eye doctor just to do signings, Polaroids and signings. And uh, they said they, you know, would help, particularly Goldberg and Roddy Piper. They were really upset that all of these great legends, Harley Race, Nick Bockwinkle, they weren't paid, and they got stuck paying their way there and back. Uh, At least they could afford to get a hotel room that night. But also, you know, like when Snuka, so we had to help out, and Chad Gaspard helped me, as did Scott, find trans to the airport. Because these guys, to save money, this husband and wife scumbag team, the promoters, we're not flying him into adjacent SFO, which was like five minutes away.
0: They I were, remember this, yes.
2: funny They were flying them out of Sacramento and San Jose and, like, Ontario and all these insanely far away, hours and hours and hours away. So we had to get those guys to those airports to even fly out, a number of them, not all. But Jimmy Snuka and Nikolai Volkov, you know, saying to me, why would why these people treat us this way? Or Harley Race, you know, that was really horrific. And so n- not only have we not had any conventions in the Bay Area, but that was kind of the end. It was so well publicized, Meltzer devoted pages and pages on what a rip-off it was. The worst rip-off I've ever seen in wrestling and we haven't had anything like that since. And thankfully, Mike Bucci and High Spots put on quality uh, you know, wrestle cons, I think they call them. But it, you know, where you didn't have to worry. Nobody had to worry. It was done properly ethically after this fiasco. And I still talk to people who you know, the talent that were ripped off. And they say, worst thing I've ever seen or been involved with in wrestling. The TNA guys, luckily, Bill Banks, made sure they got paid in advance. You know, they were sent in as a package deal. They wrestled Friday night and then were out of there. Um, the Dudleys against the Steiners in the opener. Who would put the Dudleys against the Steiners in the opener? But that's what they did on the crazy it was shit.
0: Crazy. And then they had that battle royal with every independent wrestler they could get their hands on. In the entire, you know, Northern California it's area. Battle royal right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was absolutely it was into, and you know, when they showed the when we, we had the first match there and there were only in the cow palace that holds like what about ten thousand people? We had four hundred people, you know, in the uh in the stands. I was like, This isn't gonna go well, you know, during during <laughs> the convention they, they banned me because they knew
2: I called the police. They had the one guy there. I can forget his name. I have it all written down. I have the police records and reports from uh, Oh Daly City, Brisbane, and uh, South San Francisco were the, the three districts we all had to go to to file charges and try to extradite them and all that stuff, uh, which is bringing back really bad memories. But, um, oh, geez. Yeah, see, I get all bogged in these details, and I'm getting a senior uh, brain farts. Um, anyway, it, it was horrific. Um, we managed to get everybody to their airport and, and stuff. But, I, you know, like I was uh, contacted Scott Norton to promote his book a couple of months ago, and he remembered what a – oh, yeah, this is what I was going to say. Uh, Brutus Beefcake, who – you know, Ed Leslie's a nice guy. I've never been a fan of his, really. You know, I'm, I'm more of the Billy Robinson or the Jushin Liger stuff or uh, uh, any of the New Japan current fantastic talents, uh, Okada in particular or Kenny Omega. But Beefcake knew that he was going to get ripped off, and he made the most of it, and I was impressed with what he did. He was in a tag match with Valentine, and I forget who they were working with against maybe... Coco
0: uh, Coco Beware. And uh, um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Coco was Dr. Dusty Williams. Yeah, Dr. Death. That's right. Yes. But but a dream booking, if ever there was one.
2: But you remember Beefcake in the middle of all this chaos. He knew he wasn't going to get paid. He knew he was out of all this money. He still had fun. And he yelled. I think he got on the mic, but he yelled it loud enough that those 300 people for a a pretty damn decent card. Because the main event was Great Muda against Billy Kidman, who could still go then. But anyway, so Ed Leslie, Brutus Beef, gets on the mic and he goes, I effing love this shit. Meaning he still had the passion for wrestling. And it changed my opinion. I go, this guy's not so bad. He's got a horrific situation. You know, he lived in Florida. He's out here in California. He's going to lose a ton of money. And uh, he still maintained a positive attitude. So I that changed my attitude about uh, about him. And whereas... You know, the rest of the guys were just really sad that they were so disrespected. And, and you know, it, it really dug at them. Uh, particularly- well, so
0: often, uh, Evan and I talk about the poor promoter that gets taken by the talent and, and gets ripped off by the venue. This was the situation where the promoters did the exact opposite. They ripped off everybody else. And everybody else got shafted. I think the Cow Palace, you know, was owed like like $100,000 in the I end. So
2: they allowed me into the office like thats I was going to ask you if you went to the Ring of Honor show that Sunday afternoon because they left one guy who would then go to all the photo things and collect the money. So they did have one stooge in there. And so he told me, you know, you're banned. And then I just went to the Cow Palace people and they let me sit in the the box and call the police on them and and blah, blah, blah. They came to get this guy and interviewed him. I, I still don't recall now what happened with him. But did you go to that Ring of Honor show that Sunday? Oh no,
0: no, no, no. After the Saturday, I was like, this thing, I don't want to get I don't get, I want to get drawn into it. After Scott Norton scared the hell out of me, I was like, I'm getting out of here before there's a full-scale riot. You weren't with me when we tried to hide Don Fry
2: because No, of-
0: no, no, no. You told me all about that after the fact. Yeah. I was like, I am out of here. I don't want to come back. It was
2: a- Scott Norton, Warlord, Barbarian, yes. Steve Williams, the Steiners. They all we all hid and kept him away so Don Fry wouldn't be wrongfully arrested because he was, he got cold cocked and hit. But everybody was upset and frustrated. And the MMA guys, there was like a riot amongst those guys when they found out they weren't going to get paid. And their trans and their hotel and meals, nothing was covered as promised. So what I am doing now, and it might be a little, uh, I'm going to put on various websites like the one Evan hooked me up with recently that I really am thankful for. I'm doing exhausting post. Yeah, Wrestling Post. I'm doing exhaustive pieces on uh, the history of wrestling fan conventions, and it's not a thorough thing. Anybody that might uh, have stuff to add, they can add to it, so it's an ongoing. I
0: will. I will.
2: Conventions dating back to WFIA and even before that in the 60s, and then the history of wrestling radio shows, and Evan, of course, uh, has lots of stuff in there for a jillion years and different shows and i'm doing another one let's see wrestling radio wrestling uh, and wrestling radio and and then how it's led to podcasts now but wrestling radio wrestling fan conventions and i think wrestling schools and wrestling trainers will be one i've not yet tackled but i have some of these things that i think people need to you know to learn their history i get upset when i go in the locker room of stuff now and nobody knows carney um you know, it's like my home base, all pro wrestling, APW promotion. There are very few that know it. Jeff Cobb does and some others. But a lot of guys don't know Carney. They don't know, even know the, the regular terminology. It's a little bit foreign to them, going over, going under, push, heat, sometimes. Not all. Some of them know those things, the basic ones, like heat, you have to know. But all these traditions, and, and that's why a lot of these guys don't know the art of psychology. And it's just like a series of of Spots. So when I first met Brian Cage, who's now, you know, killing it in AEW, he's doing great. He was Impact Champion, all this great stuff, Lucha Underground. But his gimmick, you know, early on, like on early Pro Wrestling Guerrilla shows and stuff he was on in Northern Cal, was get my F and S in, and he'd sell T-shirts with the initials for that, and that was kind of the thing that upset me was, you know, get my F and spots in. Well, wrestling's not about a series of spots. I mean, it has to make sense. This is why Johnny Valentine could put a headlock on Jack Briscoe in a match I shot in Florida, you know, for, I don't know, what, it was it 20 minutes? We saw that in APW with Tim Thatcher and, uh, oh, gosh, Oliver John. They did a oh, match. Oh, yes,
0: that was a great match.
2: Where they were trying to recreate that moment, and it was just fantastic. So a uh, big plug for APW there. but And all the Northern California promotions and you uh, buddy for seeing what a great talent tim thatcher was from the SAC area i guess uh, so i bought head and, and headline and, and sinker that he was from britain just here in the states to learn wrestling that was all bullshit uh, tim thatcher was sacramento guy i don't think he's maybe he's got english blood in him but he's not from That's
0: english teeth He's got the bad British. that's what we used to say uh during the interviews. You'd say, like, how, if he wasn't British, how come his teeth are so awful?
2: Well, he did the Steve stole the Steve Regal gimmick on your show. You know, earliest on he did the hand behind his back, you know, demanding matches be And We had
0: a valet for him. We had a a, a a a butler. He had a butler that took him to the ring, which Mark,
2: is crazy. So, rules, but you know, what a talent he is now, uh, it's like the head shooter hooker for uh and there's another one, another article there, is the history of hooker shooters in wrestling. You know, we've lost so many. You know, now you want to call a guy like Kurt Angle a hooker shooter. Okay, but I don't think I'd put him in the same category as Thez, Bert Assariti, Billy Robinson, Carl Guy. Now
0: you have hooker shooters just go directly into MMA. You know, yeah. they, don't, they don't make wrestling as their first stop or whatever. They, they go to MMA first, do what they can in MMA, and when their careers are headed downwards... Then they kind of do the Bobby Lashley thing and go into uh, pro wrestling as kind of a, a, you know, or Ronda Rousey. You know, you see her, you know, they, they make their stops in professional wrestling. But they, MMA actually, is, is what actually takes actually a wrestler,
2: but then he was doing double duty, doing MMA. And his career kind of, I don't know, it wasn't, nobody was talking about it the way they were. Mark Kerr and Coleman or folks like that. Josh Barnett uh, really had significant, primarily in New Japan. Uh, or Enoki, the founder, and later on, the guys that took over New Japan. They really love that stuff, bringing in uh, legit tough guys. But, I mean, Enoki brought in Leon and uh, Michael Spinks, and just a wealth of auto- – Wilhelm Ruska, a legit gold medalist, that Gene LaBelle trained. Gene LaBelle was the ref for Ali Enoki. I don't have to say any more than the godfather of legit grappling. And there's a hooker-shooter guy right there. And, you know, Gene – is not answering emails now. I think he's been in ill health, which is really sad for me because he was like the one bright shining star. We were all afraid of Eileen Eaton. We didn't like Mike LaBelle, but everybody loved Gene LaBelle.
0: And, uh, he was a legend, true legend. You know what? I knew this would happen. We're out of time. We, we, you, you've just absolutely filled this hour with just a million wonderful gems of, of things, I hope. Everyone gets a chance to listen to the show. Do you have anything you'd like to like talk about to promote any upcoming shows that you're doing, or or have people tune into your website? You want the fans to be able to to keep track of? It's good on
2: social media, but my email since 1990-91 is reallano w r e a l a n o at AOL.com, which signifies I'm old. Uh, reallano with a W in front at aol com. Uh, please go and study, look up Hana Kimura's matches, look at all the great things she accomplished. She would have done so much more in the business. But we've had a lot of other guys, Mike Awesome, et cetera, who uh, committed suicide when they were bullied in wrestling. With, with her, it was the TV show people that watched her on that reality show where she was a, a wrestler. Um, and uh, Evan's book, I'll promote that because I'm going to contribute photos, but I know that's going to be terrific in this show that you guys are doing uh two guys that have lots of history loads of history with without and um, um i guess support your indies when they get going again um you know there's a lot of fantastic stuff out there uh i, I don't know apw pro wrestling gorilla are the ones that really come to mind i don't know if, if uh, wwe and hunter paul liveck are buying evolve from gabe sapolsky or what's going on there but. Uh, the indies are really where it's at and you have you'll have the most fun this is like we got to get through this pandemic and cures and people wearing masks to stop the spread before we can even have shows or we can go out and do stuff i mean they opened up my gym for like two and a half weeks and now it's closed again and we're all putting on covid weight and stuff i had to shave i had like a week and a half beard for this show covid beards and covid weights so Let's uh, defeat COVID, let's not be numbskull knuckleheads. Wear your mask and distance. Don't just put on the mask when you can't socially distance like an idiot like Trump. You need to socially distance at least six or more feet and wear the mask from the top of the bridge of your nose, way under your chin. And don't just wear a stupid visor because that does nothing. Um, A visor with a mask like we use in surgery, great. But a visor by itself, a clear visor, really isn't gonna do anybody else any good.
0: That's great advice. We really appreciate it. I can't say enough about how wonderful it has been to have you as a guest on the show. And I say it to other guests, and I mean it, but to you, I really mean it. We've got to have you on again because we didn't even scratch the surface. And Evan didn't even get any chance to ask you anything. Oh, for so Evan. Yeah, well, we, I'm we, glad. we just pushed you right over to the side there, Evan, and just steamrolled you with this uh, Russell FanFest okay. stuff. Okay. But we promise we'll let you guys get, we'll get a yeah. <laughs> word in, <laughs> in the next week.
2: Evan is the king of documentaries and getting stuff promoted properly, whether it's COVID con or 350 days of documentary or the wrestler, you know, Evan is Mr. He's got more energy about a zillion times more than I have now. I just had a a shingles part two shot and I'm just dying, but I hope I had some energy today. I'm in like the most intense pain from this stupid thing. Um, Sorry, so, uh, luckily, that's one other thing I think up nose is I purposely tried to learn all the languages of people I had to shoot. Spanish, Tagalog, like French, and uh, definitely Japanese, Nihongo.
0: That is fantastic. Thank you so much for being our guest. We'll have you on again real soon, and have a great day, and, and best of health to you and, and, and your family. Thank you, thank you. All right, Thanks. see you all next week. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, oh,